Well, you can take your Bibles and you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning as we continue on through this epistle. Have you ever heard a story that you could just listen to over and over again? You know, maybe it's a story that uh, your parents would tell you about how they met or something like that. Or maybe a story, maybe you had like a grandfather who fought in a war and could tell some stories. And you just, every time you were at grandma and grandpa's house, you just wanted to hear that story again. Something down like that. Maybe you've heard just some amazing stories that you just couldn't get enough of. I think of, uh, well, a few years ago, we invited... Colonel Ken Sweet to come to Falls Bible Church and tell his story. And if you don't know who that was, he was an Army Air Corps mechanic. He was stationed in Hawaii. And he saw the events of the bombing of Pearl Harbor unfold. He was there. He had worked all night on guard duty. He took a guard post all night. And then that morning... I think by his own testimony, he said he was just thinking about getting some breakfast. And in the, you know, the early morning hours, as the sun was coming up, you could see planes flying in. And at first, he thought they were U.S. Navy planes, and the guys were just showing off a little bit. But as they got closer and he could see the sunlight shining on them, he saw the, the red sun of the Japanese on that, those airplanes. And then he started to see the bombs drop. And all that ensued, and he came, and he, he did that for a lot of people over the years. Tell his story, and uh, it's just the kind of thing like, you hear it, and then you just kind of, after a little time goes by, you want to hear it again. What was it like? What else did you see? What, what, what were other people doing? What was going on, you know? You just want to know the details, and you kind of want to, when you hear somebody tell a story like that, you kind of want to immerse yourself into those details, into those events, and to understand them and to kind of experience them through the person's eyes. I think of stories like that. Again, things we want to hear over and over again. As we come to our passage this morning, and we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. And in this chapter, Paul is defending the idea of resurrection from the dead. It's interesting when you think of the Corinthian epistles. It's a, it's a corrective letter. There's all these issues. And it's almost like, I mean, I think this is probably the most grievous issue. People turning away from the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, and therefore, some of them were apparently were maybe beginning to maybe deny that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if you take that away, there's not anything left is the issue. And I just think of the Apostle Paul's patience with these folks going through issue after issue. And then 15 chapters in, we're just now getting to this one, and it's a big issue. But what he does here in these few verses we're going to look at is he mentions some people who had a story. They had one of the best stories you'd ever hear in your life. He mentions people who saw Jesus Christ alive again in his resurrected body after having laid in the grave for three days. And, and, and these people, they saw him alive again. In some cases, they, they spoke with him. They touched him. They ate with him. And, and as, as we go through these verses and we consider some of the ones that saw the Lord, I just think of like, 
when a, guy, when a person like that came to your church or came to your town, you know what I would ask that person? I'd be like, tell me again when you saw the Lord. What was that like? Tell me it again. I want to hear that story again. Where were you when he showed up? You mean he just showed up in the room, in the middle of you, just appeared out of thin air? You know, the stories they could tell, that they had experienced, and they could share that with those that knew the Lord. It's just amazing. Just amazing. And Paul brings some of these people up here as he's defending the idea that Jesus rose from the dead and thereby defending the idea that we will all raise from the dead. That's what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read our passage. Again, verses 5 through 8. And that he was seen by Cephas, who that's Simon Peter, by the way, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Well, Paul here, he drops a few names that these folks would have known. (laughs) He dropped two big names in Cephas and James. Those are leading apostles in the kingdom church at Jerusalem that they got around to. They were known far and wide. And he mentions the apostles, speaking of the, the 12 apostles who were widely known by professing Christians that trusted the Lord. But his point here in mentioning these names is further confirmation, again, that Jesus did rise from the dead. And he, he lists a whole group of people, and the idea is, you can go and ask them. <laughs> Don't just take my word for it, you can go and ask them. And you think how amazing it would have been, in a sense, to live at that time when you could have chosen over 500 people to go and track down and ask them, what was your experience when the Lord came back? Tell me what it, what it was like. Where did you see him? So that's what's going on here. He's confirming the resurrection of Jesus Christ by listing witnesses of the resurrection here. Now, I'm going to take the opportunity this morning. I mean, we can look, we're going to look at the ones he mentions here, but we're going to expand our sight a little bit. And we're going to take the opportunity to just kind of, kind of have like an exercise in just going through all of the witnesses of the resurrection that the Bible talks about. We're going to look at some different scriptures, some different parts of the Gospels. Uh, to make it easy on you, we're going to put some scriptures up on the screen more than we usually do, so you don't have to turn your Bible, because we don't want you always having to turn. But we're just going to go through and recount what took place that Sunday long ago, and the, the ones that saw him, and then even in the days after that, ones that saw him. And we'll just kind of work our way through Paul's list, but we'll fill in some of the the people he doesn't mention here so that we can have a full appreciation of all the biblical proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And you, you know, and, and I'm going to have fun, so I hope you have fun with me. <laughs> but the importance of these things is it always emboldens our faith in the Lord because it's just so clear in Scripture what happened. And what I hope it also does for us is to encourage us That when we're out in our communities and we're out in our lives, that we are so convinced of the resurrection ourselves that we want to tell people our story with the Lord, how we've experienced Him in our lives. 
That's what we want to take away from this message this morning. So if you're following along on your outline, I've given you more blanks than usual. I trust you won't get writer's cramp this morning, <laughs> but we are going to go through sort of a sequence, and it's depending on different ones who pull all the information together from Scripture, how many appearances you count, but the kind of general working number is 11. There's 11 different times that Jesus Christ appeared to people after his resurrection. And that's kind of what we're walking through on your outline this morning. So some of the uh, references that, that Paul is dealing with, beginning with verse 5, he mentions Cephas and then the twelve. And already, some of the ones that he's talking about, these are ones that saw the Lord the very day he rose from the grave. That third day, that first day of the week, it was Sunday I like to refer to it as Resurrection Sunday. So our first point, we're going to look at how Christ was seen on Resurrection Sunday. And there's a little sub-note that he was seen at least five times that very day. First of all, he was seen by Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. I'm going to read a few scriptures. They'll be on the screen for you where the scripture tells us about Mary Magdalene. Mark 16, 9 says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. I just want to pause a moment and think about Mary. You can't pause and really deal with these in any length uh, too much. But I, I think it's, it's very interesting to me that God chose Mary Magdalene to be the first one to see him rise, risen from the grave. And it tells us in Mark, she had, she had had seven demons that he had cast out of her. This woman, before the Lord met her, was broken, in despair, of probably a castaway in society. Because you, you probably don't function very well at social events with seven demons. Right? I mean, this woman, there was no hope in her life. No meaning in her life. And then she met Jesus Christ, and he cast those demons out. And from that day forth, she followed him. And she was there when he was on the cross. And she was the first one there at the tomb that, that third day with a few other women. She was there. She got up before the sun was up. And God, in his wisdom, chose her to be the first witness of the resurrection, which is very special to me. That this broken down woman would be the one that would be the first witness. She would be the one to go and tell the disciples, matter of fact. Let's look at Scripture again in John 20, 14 through 18 on the screen here of this encounter that Mary had with Jesus. Very special passage beginning with verse 14. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Again, she was the first witness of the resurrection. But she wasn't alone. And that's right away we go to the next one here. He was also seen by other women. There was a group of women that had also went early to the tomb to help finish the you know, entombment process because they were so hurried the day he was crucified that they had to get him in the tomb before the sundown of Passover. But he was seen by other women, and we uh, understand this from Scripture as well. We'll also put Matthew 28 up here, verses 9 and 10. Tell us a little bit about these women. Verse 9 says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. That passage doesn't tell us uh, immediately who the women were, but you can put some scripture together. And the other women, one of them was another Mary, who was the mother of the apostle James the Less. Uh, another, another one was uh, Salome, who was the mother of James and John, the two apostles, you know, the sons of thunder, the two real boisterous guys. You know, they had a lot of energy. So. And then there was another woman named Joanna, who was actually the wife of uh, King Herod's steward. And so those, it tells us a few of these women who went to that tomb. And again, you know, their faith was rewarded, wasn't it? They went to continue to do what they felt God wanted them to do with the body of Jesus, and they were the first ones to see him alive. And of course, they also helped in going and telling the disciples of what they had seen. Now, we'll notice back in 1 Corinthians 15, there, he doesn't mention the women, and it's you know, one reason could just be the Corinthians didn't really know any of those women. And so he's mentioning people they know or they have heard about. But, the, but Paul's main emphasis there is he's putting the, the focus on the apostles, the leaders and teachers that the Corinthians already respected. Because one of the little sub-points going on in our passage, one of the other issues going on was that the Corinthians were beginning to dismiss Paul as an apostle, not pay him any heed thinking like, well, he's a little short guy with a big, big voice, you know, he, he telling us what to do, you know. Uh, you know. Maybe they thought he had a Napoleon complex before that was a thing, you know, I don't know. But anyway, but they didn't respect him anymore. And that he was, he was being dismissed and diminished in their sight. And he's basically, he's been telling them in, this, in this, this book too that, I was the one that started your church, you know. You haven't forgotten that, right? I'm the one that gave you. I'm the, I'm the one that delivered you the gospel in the first place. I'm the one that first told you Jesus rose from the dead. But again, if you want to ask Cephas and you want to ask all these other folks, by all means, go and ask. But they'll just simply confirm what I'm telling you. Well, again, in our passage, Paul does mention Cephas first. Again, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, uh, whose birth name was Simon. So he's, he's kind of, you've got to kind of follow along the dots with his name. He was born Simon, then Jesus said, I will call you Peter, which means a little rock, but actually it was Cephas in the Aramaic. So Peter's the Greek version. But anyway, so Simon Peter, a.k.a. Cephas, he saw the Lord on that first Sunday morning. And that's actually captured in Luke 24, 34. Paul tells us, it's affirmed in Luke 24, 34, where... Uh, there's this little quick meeting in a room where the apostles were hiding out. 
We'll talk more about that in our next point. But one of the things that was said was that the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So there's the reference that by this point, Simon Peter had seen the Lord. And the Bible doesn't tell us when that happened exactly. It doesn't give us many details, but it's there. So Peter, at best, he's the third guy. You know, he, he's not even the third person. He's the third group, you know, if you will. He's the third party to even see the Lord alive because all those women had already seen the Lord. But he was the third person to see the risen Lord. You know, and just so you know, next, next week if we go a little further in our passage, again, I kind of got into it with Mary Magdalene a little bit, but one of the things that we have to recognize with all these individuals is like, they did not just see the Lord. They were transformed by the Lord. Their lives took on a whole new meaning and purpose and a direction. Like Mary, like Peter. And I want to talk about that more in our next time in this uh, portion of Scripture. Uh, but we're not going to focus on that as much this morning. But, but these people, each one of them, it was like a 180 in their lives. Especially once they had seen the risen Lord. It just transformed them. And you see the, the Lord using these people mightily in the days after that. That just gives us the principle, though, that you cannot come in contact, and I even mean today spiritually, you cannot come in contact with the risen Jesus Christ and not be changed. He will change your life. He will do a 180 work in your life if you simply trust Him. Well, sometime after Simon Peter had seen the Lord, he was also seen by two other disciples. That's the next on your outline. He was seen by Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Emmaus. If you remember this story. This story is captured in Luke 24, 13-31. We won't read it. But if you remember... These two guys are walking on the road. Uh, I think they're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a nearby village. They're walking, and they're, and they're thinking and, and, and kind of... I, I get the picture their spirits were downcast because the guy that they all thought was going to save them, he's in a tomb, he's dead. Now what? We don't know how much time and money they had invested in following Jesus like a lot of the disciples did, and now it's like, it's like the whole everything's just pulled out from under them. They're not sure what's going to happen next in their life. What, what's, what, what's all this mean? And, this, and, they, and, they, and there's a stranger that joins them alongside the road. And they don't recognize who it is. And it's, but it's Jesus. It's the risen Lord. And he begins to walk to them to the road to Emmaus. And, and he's like, well, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, have you not heard all the stuff going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus is like, what things? <laughs> what things? You know, Tell me about it. And they start to tell him about it. But Jesus starts to teach them. Even as he's not yet known to them, he begins to teach them. He says, don't you know the prophets? And he began to tell them about what the law meant, the Psalms meant, the prophets, what it all meant, and how the Christ needed to die. He started to teach them. And they make it to where they're going, and they invite him in. He comes in, and they're getting ready to have supper together. And as he breaks the bread, not really sure what happens. Maybe it's because he did it the way that he always did it, and they recognize it. But in that moment... They recognized who he was. And in that moment, what did Jesus do? Disappeared <laughs> right out from before their eyes. And it's, it's just, I don't know, it's interesting. I don't know all that God was even doing and all that, but I just think it's so interesting. These encounters, they're just so fascinating. So he vanished. And just as they figured out, before they could even like, how did that, you know, he's gone. 
What do they do? It's late in the day. They're just having supper. They've made it from Jerusalem to Emmaus. What do they do? They hightail it back to Jerusalem, man. They're energized. They've seen the resurrected Lord. Every... This is awesome. So they go running back to Jerusalem to, to tell the disciples. And that's actually the meeting we just read about. They came in. The, the apostles were in an, a room kind of hiding out. That shows you where all these people were. They were hiding out for fear of the Jews, the Bible tells us. They saw what they did to Jesus. They didn't want to be next, right? Peter had denied the Lord three times on that night. These people were broken down, disappointed, depressed. The women had come in. Apparently, Simon Peter had seen the Lord, but we're not sure, you know, all the comings and goings and how it all works out. But these guys come running back to town all the way from Emmaus, go in that upper room. They know where the apostles are hiding out. They go in there and they're telling their story and then they hear Peter saw him too. And there's some things afoot there. And then that night, this is our last point in this section here, that very night, he was seen by the apostles that evening except for Thomas. That night, the rest of the apostles saw the Lord except for Thomas. Now in our passage, Paul says he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And we have to think of how do we understand that term, the twelve. It seems like Paul's using it as an official title for that group of apostles. Because on resurrection day, how many apostles were there? Only 11, because Judas was gone, right? He never saw the Lord. He, died, he, he killed himself to die the day Jesus was crucified. So Judas is not an apostle anymore. There's only 11. But Paul uses the idea 12. He may be using it collectively. He may be thinking about how the 11 did see the Lord. First, it's going to be 10 saw the Lord. Then we're going to talk about when Thomas was there and they saw the Lord again. But later down the road, they picked a new apostle. Remember his name? Matthias. Right? They picked Matthias. And one of the requirements for that apostle was they also had to have seen the Lord alive. So Paul may be using it as an official designation of, of the night that the, the ten apostles saw the Lord or the next week when the, eight, the, the eleven did. Or he may just be thinking Matthias had, you know, had eventually seen him too. The point is all twelve had seen the Lord at some point. But the scripture we'll talk about here momentarily tells us about that first encounter that evening of Resurrection Sunday. Maybe Thomas had stepped out. We don't know where he went. But that meeting is recorded in John 20, 24. Uh, It tells us there that Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. You know, you know, as we go through these things, you know, I have no doubt that the Lord didn't do all these things on purpose. You know, he picked Mary purposely. He, he appeared to Simon at some other time purposely. He had his reasons. He was with those two guys on the road to Emmaus and vanished right when he intended to, to vanish. He's doing what he's doing. And, and he so decided that he's going to appear to the group while Thomas isn't there. You know, Thomas had probably been there all day. It probably, he probably stepped out and came back 10 minutes later like, we saw the Lord. <laughs> you know, like, you ever been that guy? You like, step out just for me, come back, you missed everything. You know, like, what in the world? But the Lord's doing that on purpose. The Lord had a plan, and Thomas, you know, you remember his reaction, right? They're like, we saw the Lord, we saw him. And he's like, unless I can see him, unless I can put my 
I can touch his wounds and put my hand in his side where that spear went in. I won't believe it. All right, Thomas, just hang on. (laughs) But as we think about some of these individuals, that first Resurrection Sunday, this was was earth-shattering. What happened that day? Earth-shattering. Nobody had risen from the dead like this. This was the first actual resurrection when someone came back in a resurrected body beyond the touch of the corruption of death. This was the first time in all of history this happened. These people saw it, and they became the witnesses of it. And from this point, I I just think of their, their change in attitude. Now, some of them were still struggling with belief. You captured that in Scripture, but some of them were, were, were buying in. I think it was almost too good for some of them to believe. Like, there's like, can this be? Even when you, sometimes even when you see something, you can't really believe it. It like, seems too good to be true. But that's what's happening with these people. And they went from that broken down, hiding out into the room, to like the sun rose again in their lives. They came out of that darkness. They came out of that despair. And they would go on to just be champions of Jesus Christ in the time they lived. But that's not all. Because Jesus decided to hang around a while. 40 days to be precise. And that's where we're going to focus on in our next point here, that Christ was also seen before his ascension. Seen at least five times on that Sunday. As we go into this next point, he was seen at least, at least five times more in the next 40 days. It may be six. It's hard to say for certain. So let's just go through these. First of all, he was seen by the apostles, including Thomas. John 20, 26, and 29 tells us about this. It says, and after eight days... His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. I know I just love him. Jesus is just right in the middle of them. You know, you can lock the door, but you can't keep him out. (laughs) He's right there. It gives you some idea what what a person can do that's resurrected. You don't have to worry about doors anymore. You're not going to need any doorknobs where you're going. (laughs) Then he said to Thomas, because he knew what Thomas had said, even though he wasn't there, he knew what he'd said, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, what I think anybody that was there would have said, my Lord and my God. There's that 180. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have, you have seen me and you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's you this morning. You're part of that group. You're blessed by believing in the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Thomas, you know, Lord, Lord will, will meet us where we're at, won't he? <laughs> Thomas was... Wrestling with it, skeptical, unbelieving. The Lord said, I'll meet you there. I'll bring you along. And that's what he did. And that's what he does for us sometimes. He meets us where we're at and brings us along. He, he, as it is, helps our unbelief at times. Jesus also later appeared to seven apostles by the Sea of Galilee. Seven apostles by the Sea of Galilee. This is the story you read at the end of the book of John, the fishing story. That's another special thing. 
Peter says, I'm going fishing, and his brother and a couple others and a few others say, oh, we'll go with you. So they go out and see Galilee. They're in Galilee because they knew the Lord had risen, and the Lord said, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. So they went to Galilee, went back up north, but they decided, while they're waiting, we might as well do something useful. Let's go fishing, right? So they go out like they used to before they followed the Lord, and they're out fishing all night, not catching much. And there's a, there's a guy on the seashore, and he hollers out to them, you know, have you caught any fish? They're like, No. He says, cast your nets on the right side. And they do that. And all of a sudden, the net's, you know, about ready to pull the boat down again, right? That was one of the things that happened early when the the disciples had met Jesus. That's one of the first things he did when he was around Peter. That's one of the things that he did to draw Peter into himself early in the ministry. He does it again, which I just love that symmetry. That other, he does it again, like, it's me, Peter. (laughs) Cast your nets on the right side. That old trick I taught you. No. <laughs> and then he, he, and when they get to the, you know, Simon jumps out of the boat and swims, and the rest of them, you know, they're pulling the fish in, probably thinking, I wish he would have helped us, but anyway, let him go. <laughs> and they all reunite on the seashore, and Jesus got a fire going. He's already got some fish and some, I think it's some loaves going there. He's cooking. He's like, come on in for some breakfast. Bring some of the fish you caught. And they have a, you know, a, a fish fry that morning. And, uh, you know, again, it's a special thing. But, that, but we only count that there were seven of them there. Only seven of them there. Later, he was seen by the apostles once again at a mountain in Galilee. And this is one that had been predicted. This is one that even the angels at the tomb had talked about, apparently. This is recorded in Matthew 28, 16, and 17. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I and I and I don't you know I don't know. It's just interesting because if we're understanding this right, this is like the third or fourth time some of these guys have seen him now. So maybe when it says some doubted, it's the guys who weren't fishing. I don't know. But they had all seen him at least once, if not twice. And so that's what's interesting. But they were still doubting. Some of them were still doubting. But you know what that's like, right? You, you know what that's like. You, you've had the Lord work in your life, and I have too. And then the next time something comes up, you doubt. You start to forget how the God worked, and you start to forget that he does good in your life. And you get caught up in what you can see in front of you and what, what life's throwing at you. And you begin to forget what God can do. Again, the angels at the tomb had told that he was going to meet with them in Galilee. And just quickly, I'll read Matthew 28, 7. One of the angels said, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And he did, right? He showed up in Galilee at the seashore, and then later at a mountain. And then... As we think back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 15, he's seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and verse 6 says, and he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. This is one we're not sure where it takes place within the Gospels. It doesn't really mention it. It doesn't, it doesn't describe it this way, but Paul says there was a time when there was 500 plus that all saw him together. And that's your next point. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. 
Now, some people think that maybe because the Lord had said, I'll see you in Galilee, and word would have got out that people were amassing in Galilee looking for him, because he said he was going to... I mean, that, you know, the story went beyond the disciples. You know, and if I'm a person and I hear Mary Magdalene or Peter say, he's supposed to meet us in Galilee, I'm going to be hanging out. I'm going to find a way to stay in Galilee for a while. I'm going to see, how can I be there when he shows up? And since the, the, the verses we read a minute ago said he had appointed a mountain... Maybe that got out, and so some think maybe the 500 also saw him at that mountain with the 12, which were still 11 at that time. But maybe the other 500 word had got out, and like, you know, you just can't keep people away from this. They're coming. Whatever the case is, it could be separate, it could be at the mountain, but Paul is the one that tells us about that. Just amazing. You know, the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, right? Right? When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God said, I'll give you more than 500. <laughs> I'll give you more than 500. Is that good enough for you? Right? And again, what a, what a special time for these Corinthians and when they lived that they could talk to some of these people. And they could say, you guys are way off. We saw him. We saw him there that day. As we go on in 1 Corinthians 15, he was also seen by James, the brother of the Lord. That's captured in verse 7. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. James is another really interesting guy. We understand this to be the James that's the half-brother of the Lord, the, the son of Mary. Um, well, he was the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus only, you know, biologically related to Mary, as we understand. But James is one of the brothers of the Lord. Jesus, we know, had four brothers in Scripture, and he also had sisters, so we don't know how big the family was. It was at least a family of seven kids, at least. But anyway, you know what the Scriptures tell us about his four brothers when he was on the earth ministering? They didn't believe. They did not follow him. There's never any mention of any of his brothers following him until after the resurrection. And it seems likely that James probably saw the Lord when he was in Galilee, because that's where James lived. The family was from Nazareth. That's up north in Galilee. So James, and, and perhaps some of his brothers, we're not sure, but at least James is mentioned here. James saw his half-brother alive again. Well, we know one thing. It made a believer out of James, because he becomes one of the chief apostles forward later in the Jerusalem church. It made a difference. James believed. Again, God sometimes meets us where we're at, right? He meets us in sometimes where we're at. He, he helps us along. James got on board after seeing his brother alive. He was also seen by the apostles before the ascension. Before the ascension. And this was the last time before the ascension he was seen. This is what we read in our scripture reading this morning in Acts chapter 1. And it's interesting because Luke tells us what happened you know, right before the Lord left. And he's with them, he's, he's assembling with them, and he leads them out. He goes back to the Mount of Olives, and in their sight... Up he goes into the clouds, right? And then there's another angel there saying, he's coming back just like that, by the way. He's coming back just like that. And they, I don't, you know, again, how, how many times? One, two, three, four, like, it's like the fifth or sixth time they would have seen him at least in that 40 days. It seems like by that point, they, none of them were doubting anymore. <laughs> they got past that. They'd worked past that and were believing and they went on in their ministry in early Acts, which you read about, and they 
they were walking in faith, and God was using them mightily in their lives after that. But this is the last time the Lord appeared anyone is before the ascension. But again, as we, as we consider all these, these appearances of the Lord and just the, the, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's just interesting, again, as we, we look at 1 Corinthians 15, and he's like Peter and the 12 and 500 people and James too, his brother. And then, the, and then the, the apostles saw him again, and he's just going through this list. And again, Paul's idea is, is go and ask. You can go and ask. I'm not asking you to believe fairy tales here. But, but, the, but isn't that what a lot of people think Christianity is? That's the argument they'll take. That's just fairy tales. You guys just believe myths and fantasies. But there's things that separate Christianity from every other religion or faith in the world. When you look at Christianity and you look at how the Bible is written, these things happened in real history. They happened in real places with real people. And the Bible gives you all these details. I mean, even the book of Acts, like we're talking about, if you just read through the book of Acts, the number of people, including politicians, people who were political figures in Palestine, in Rome, other islands, just through the Roman Empire, and the cities that are mentioned, and the, and the roads that are mentioned. And the, so geographical and political, and all the details that, that just that one book gives you. And when you look at history, you look at archaeology, that's all there. It was all there. It was true. So if all the little details are true in a book, and then there's an element of faith, what does that mean about that element of faith? Like Jesus rose from the dead. That too is true. That's true. That's what separates Christianity. It was, it's real. You know, every other major religious leader is still in the grave. Still in the grave. Josh McDowell writes, All but four of the major world religions are based on mere philosophical propositions. Of the four that are based on personalities rather than philosophies, only Christianity claims an empty tomb for its founder. In 1900 B.C., Judaism's father Abraham died. In 483 B.C., Buddhist writings say Buddha died with that utter passing away in which nothing whatever remains behind. June 6, 632 A.D., Muhammad died. In 33 AD, Jesus died but came back to life, appearing to 500 people over a period of 40 days. The Bible says, bring it on. That's the difference. You know, if I'm making up something that I want to sell people, if I'm making up a new religion, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep it vague. I'm not going to give you names and places that you can fact check. You know, I'm I'm, going to make sure my story aligns with anybody else that may talk about it. That's not what the Bible does. That's not what these guys did. They simply write down what they saw. And it's right here for us. But it it didn't end with the ascension, did it? You read on in Acts. One more person in line to see the resurrected Lord, right? And that brings us to a third and final area. Christ was seen by Paul. And first of all, he was seen by Paul from heaven. I'm going to go to Acts 9 here. I'm not going to put it up on the screen, but I'm just going to read briefly Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. 
Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. We'll stop there. The Lord appeared to Paul that day, brighter than the noonday sun, left him in a temporary state of blindness. He had to get healed a few days later, three days later. And it was so earth-shattering to Paul that he didn't eat or drink for three days. I can only imagine the prayers of his heart in that three-day period as he was wrestling with what he had been doing and now where he was at in life because the, Lord, the, the, the resurrected Lord showed up in his life and he would never be the same. Acts 28.16 tells us that the Lord also said to Paul, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. He was seen by Paul from heaven. Acts 9 says he heard a voice, but this verse says he, he appeared. He was there. He saw him. He saw him. He became a witness of the resurrection well after the Lord had left this earth. And as Paul tells us back in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was the one who saw the Lord last of all. He was, he was seen by Paul last of all. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. It happened on the road to Damascus. Paul says he was born out of due time. This likely means that really he never should have known the Lord, never should have been saved. He, 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 the word means born prematurely, you know, out of due time. You know, the, the twelve had ministered with the Lord for three years. The twelve had walked with the Lord. The twelve went through that grief of the crucifixion, but then the elation of the resurrection three days later, and then that 40-day period with the Lord. And then they went to work in Jerusalem around that time of Pentecost and beyond. But Paul, what was he doing during all that time? Well, I don't know about all the time, but he, became, he was that guy breathing threats and murders against these people. He just wanted to see him go to jail or get killed. But the Lord had grace on him, appeared to him out of the sequence of time that the rest of Scripture talks about. It was unique in all of history, this appearance of the Lord to Paul. And it signaled something. It signaled new revelation for a new time. It signaled a new message for the world. A message of grace that would be based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Paul was the final person who ever saw the risen and ascended Lord. The last one. You know, if the words in the scripture, He is risen, if those words are not true, then nothing else really matters. C.H. McIntosh 
said this about the resurrection. There is power in the presence of a risen Savior to solve our difficulties, remove our perplexities, calm our fears, ease our burdens, dry our tears, meet our every need, tranquilize our minds, and satisfy every craving of our hearts. That's what you see took place in those people's lives that we just read about. And it's the same thing that the risen Lord can do in your life today. Again, you and I, we weren't alive 2,000 years ago to see the Lord in bodily form. And we have not seen the Lord in bodily form. But have we not seen Him? Have we not seen His hand in our lives, His work in our heart? We've seen His goodness toward us. We've seen Him answer our prayer. We've seen Him give us peace in life's trials. You have a story to tell just as much as they did 2,000 years ago. Because the risen and ascended Lord is real to you and real in your life. So may that embolden our faith to keep reaching out to people with that message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage which reminds us those things which we believe are well attested to. They are indeed reality and truth. And this message changes our lives. Lord, again, may each one of us just be encouraged by your word this morning. May we continue to glorify you throughout this week in our lives and just be bold ambassadors of you. Just like the men and women we read about in this passage became bold for you, Lord. May we be willing to run to tell somebody about Jesus. We give you thanks in his name. Amen.